0: Welcome to Sports Spectrum, the sports and faith podcast that brings Jesus back into the conversation. Here's your host, Jason Romano.
1: This episode of Sports Spectrum's podcast is sponsored by Compassion International. We love working with Compassion. We're so thankful to have them as sponsors and partners here at Sports Spectrum. If you haven't heard about Compassion or you don't know a lot about them, I want to refer you to their website. Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum. What they do is they allow you and I to have an opportunity to release children from poverty. And they do such a great job. Over 2 million children last year alone were released from poverty because of Compassion International. It's $38 a month. And the opportunity for you and I to sponsor a child provides them with food, education, medical care, and vocational training. What a privilege and honor it can be to make that difference in a child's life. Imagine if you could sponsor a child for $38, pick the boy or girl in need and sponsor them through the website and then find out that your $38 a month goes directly to them to help them succeed, to help them live, to help them thrive in life. $38 a month and you get to have a one-on-one interaction with this child That you decide to sponsor. It's almost like a pen pal that you can write to. They write write back to you. You write to them. You stay in touch with them. It's a beautiful thing that Compassion does. It's $38 a month. Consider sponsoring a child today through Compassion. Go to the website, compassion.com slash sports spectrum, and consider releasing a child from poverty today. Today in the podcast, we welcome Zerbin Singleton to the program. Zerbin is a major in the Marine Corps and a former Navy running back who graduated from the Naval Academy in 2007. But his story is an incredible one. It really is. I did not know about Zerbin, and someone from social media, from Twitter, suggested that we connect. And I did, and then I learned more about this man's story. And holy cow, this guy has been through hell and back in many ways. He was born to a mom addicted to drugs— that mom was incarcerated when Zerbin was 10 years old. Uh, he ended up moving to Georgia, was co-captain of his high school football team in Columbia High School, graduated as a valedictorian, but then a week before graduation was hit, on, was hit head on by a drunk driver in 2003. In 2005, after a relationship that was rekindled with his father, His dad ended up committing suicide and through it all, Zerbin persevered, trusted in God through the process, ended up graduating from the Naval Academy in 2007 and winning the Disney Wide World of Sports Spirit Award. Now Zerbin is working in the Marine Corps as a major, flying as a pilot all over the world. Deployment in, in places like Japan and Africa, just amazing work that this man is doing, having persevered through so much and trusting God through it all. So before we get to our interview with Zerbin Singleton, I just want to put a little disclaimer out there that the views expressed by Zerbin here on this podcast do not reflect the official policy or position of the United States Marine Corps, the Department of Defense, or the United States government. This is Zerbin's story, and these are Zerbin's words, and you're going to love his story. It's a powerful one. Zerbin Singleton, Marine Corps major, former Navy running back, joins us here on Sports Spectrum's podcast. Zerbin, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you. It's a a pleasure to be here, and I was recently promoted to major.
1: Major. How about that? Well, Congratulations, and first of all, thank you for your service. Really appreciate that. Uh, It is an honor to have you here on Sports Spectrum, and your story is an incredible one. Um, So instead of, I guess, asking you to share it all in one answer, which could be an easy way to to do that, let's break it down into some different stages here, and I guess we'll start with the early stages of your life. Growing up, born in Alaska, right away, uh, life wasn't easy for you, was it?
0: No, sir, it wasn't. So growing up in Alaska, so I was born born in Alaska, uh, 1984. And, um, around that time, you probably imagine not many people know much about Alaska, just think igloos and sled dogs. <laughs> but when I was born, my my father left before I was born, and my mother she was addicted to drugs. So I was I came out. I was premature. My heart was beating too fast. And the first miracle in my life was that I grew into a healthy young baby because I was born. In the in the crack epidemic, so I was what people termed a crack baby. Mm. And growing up, growing up with my mother, I, I I like to say she didn't always make the best decisions, but she laid a strong foundation. And she is where my faith first came from. We used to get down on our knees and and pray every night. But growing up with her, like I said, she didn't make the best decisions. And so I there was times when we were homeless, where we lived in uh, the shelter for battered women, or Maybe a day shelter or sometimes we lived in a, a small apartment where there was 10 to 15 other people in. There's drugs in and out of the house and uh, j- just wasn't the best atmosphere at the time. Um, another thing was domestic violence. I, She was often uh, with a man or, or another man who used to beat her. Um, I've seen her with a broke arm, a broke leg, black eyes. Um, I've heard it, the, heard what the sounds sound like when I'm in the other room. And, uh, so it was, it was a, a period where there's times where I was traumatized by that or different things like that. And there's times when she would go to jail and she would go to jail I would live with her sister, my aunt. And then eventually, um, I moved with my aunt's daughter, Lorena and Carrie Hall, when I used to live on and off with them and eventually moved down to Georgia with them.
1: Hmm. Tell me, first of all, was, was your dad in the picture? Was there a dad, uh, as you were growing up around for you?
0: So yeah, my dad, I never, uh, I didn't meet him till I was 15. I, um, I didn't know anything about him. Uh, I knew that he was, he was a white man. And, and my mom told me early on that she was with him because he was, he was, uh, had money. So in my head, I'm thinking, my dad's a rich white man and I just kind of want to meet him. <laughs> And I had never seen a picture of him. I didn't know what he looked like. and But I had other father figures in my life. So growing up, I played all the sports. So coaches served as father figures. My uncle, uh, AJ, he was a father figure in my life. And then um, Lorene and Carey, who I consider my mother and father as well, he served as a father figure in my life growing up.
1: Tell me about, you said your mom, I think you said you were 10 when you Uh, moved to Georgia. Your mom was incarcerated, I believe, at that time um, after being addicted to drugs and and all the stuff that you just explained to us. Tell us about how life changed for you when you went to Georgia and really set up the trajectory of your life to be able to achieve and accomplish some great things. Tell me about that.
0: Yes, sir. So I I remember the the deciding factor, the moment in my life where uh, my aunt, said I could either stay there with her in Alaska or I moved down to Georgia. So it was at the time, my mom, she was on probation and a, a bounty hunter was supposed to be coming and they were just supposed to sign some papers. Um, but she was probably high at the time. So when the bounty hunter got there, she's like, I'm not going back to jail. She runs. Mm-hmm. We lived in a, a four-unit apartment building. We lived on the top floor. And she runs. He chases after her. I, hear, I can hear a uh, scuffle pursue. Then I hear, bam. I hear a gunshot. I hear my mom pant. She runs back up the stairs. She grabs a butcher knife. She runs in the back room, and I think my mom just been has just been shot. I don't know what's going on. I knew she used to be a nurse in the army, but I, I don't know if she can fix herself. The police ambulance get there. They break down the door. They disarm her, and there's two holes in her shirt, the size of a half dollar. One where the bullet entered, and one where the bullet exited. But well, by the grace of God, that bullet didn't strike her. But she ended up going to jail that night, and she had violated her probation. There was a gun in the house. There were drugs. So this time she'd be going to. She's facing at least three years. And so I went to live with my aunt. And my aunt she says, "You can stay here with me in Alaska, or you can move down with uh, my daughter and her husband down in Georgia." And at ten years old, I'm thinking, "Man, I love to fly in an airplane. I don't get to do that much. If I go down to Georgia, I have to. I have to go by airplane." So in my my head, my reasoning. It was my decision to go down there because I got to fly an airplane.
1: Hmm. Yeah, and you're 10 years old. I mean, that's where the <laughs> mindset of a 10-year-old is, right? Hey, I get to go on an airplane. But as you get older, you realize, you know, you start to mature into a young teenager and realize what is going on here with your mom, with the foundation that's now taking place in Georgia. Tell me about what started to transpire for you in your life as you went into your teen years, into your high school years, and started to have these dreams and these aspirations of different things you wanted to accomplish?
0: And so I get to Georgia in fifth grade, and not long after I get to Georgia, we have a career fair, and I start researching what I want to be. I always liked science and math, and I've been wanting to fly since I was a little kid, and I learned about becoming an astronaut. I was like, man, that sounds pretty cool to be, be able to go out of space, to float, to do experiments. And so that's, that's when I got in my mind that only only way to become an astronaut is you have to go to college. And I knew my parents really didn't have money to send me to college. So I was going to have to do something to get to college. So that's when I really started to apply myself. I started to do well in the classroom, started to do well on the athletic fields. I was the captain of the wrestling team, captain of the football team. And uh, eventually I, I graduated as a valedictorian. And it was all because I had a goal in mind. I, I had faith that. I can do all things through Christ and I just set my mind to it and and started to get on the grind and and work hard at what my next goal was.
1: You mentioned faith. Tell me a little bit more about that uh, and where that faith in Christ really started to take shape. And obviously there's taking shape. And even you mentioned the seeds that were planted with your mom and praying for praying with her when you were a little boy. But then it comes to a point where you have to make that faith your own. So take us through that progression and come to the point where you made Christ Lord of your life.
0: Definitely. So we used to get me and my mom used to pray every night, and I remember, um, like, I know the Bible talks about how, like, as children you're you're innocent, and and I just had that innocence, and I and I had been taught that God could do anything. So I can remember at one point in my life there's a, there's a story where. Uh, it was me and my mother. We were in a house. We didn't have any furniture. We didn't have a phone and we got down to pray and I have a nightmare. I wake up this, this guy that has been, uh, abusing her and he, I have a nightmare that he comes, he takes my mom and like leaves her on the side of the road tied up. So I wake up screaming. She, she comes to me, we praise. And when I pray, I asked I asked God to kill this man because I'm, I'm in my head. I'm like, God, he's all powerful. He can do anything. So I asked this man to kill to kill my mom, to kill kill my this man. And I'm like four or five at this time. She stops me. She mm-hmm. says, you can't, you can't pray for that. You have to pray for his forgiveness and pray that God will help him out. And at four or five, I really didn't understand that. I'm like, why would I pray for somebody who's constantly hurting us? Right. And it was a seed that she planted that eventually grew to opening up my heart to being able to forgive anybody and I, I think as we'll probably talk about it later when i eventually met my father yeah. that i never held any, held any grudge against him. i just had an open mind and wanted to meet him. and so from that my faith continued to grow i remember taking communion and um i'm like man is this really how they saved the blood of jesus for so long am i really eating his body and it's just that innocent as a kid i get baptized uh i think around nine or ten i my mother's at this is probably the time when I'm living with my, my cousins or my aunt and my mother's in jail. And I go, I go up to the altar just about every Sunday and ask and I pray for her. And I, I don't know if, if uh, like, if you've been, this is like an old Baptist church yeah. where they have chairs lined up around the church, people are up there and they go talk to each person. Why are you up here? And uh the music is playing and stuff like that. And I, I pray. And then she eventually gets out of jail and I bring her to church. So my, my faith as I, my faith was strong as, as I was small and it continued to grow, grew. And I don't believe until I got to college that I, people used to ask me, like, how do you do so well? How do you stay motivated? How do you stay determined? How do you stay up late nights working in the school, but then get up and, and just work so hard? And I was like, I, I don't know. I just do it. And there was a point in college, when I realized that it's not me, it's, it's God. It's God who's given me this strength, this power. He's He's the one who's enabling me to be the person I am and to be that leader and to show, show that example.
1: And then things are going really well. In 2003 comes you graduate high school, Zerbin, and a huge achievement, obviously, especially with all of the, what, you, what you just explained, but not just graduate. You're the valedictorian, which is amazing. Um, but that happiness disappears kind of quickly. Tell us about that time and the accident that uh, that took place.
0: Yes, sir. So a week before I'm supposed to graduate from high school, I get hit head on by a drunk driver. Mm. Um, I break my collarbone. And at this time, I've already been accepted into the Naval Academy. Um, it's a goal of mine. I always set my standards high. And I knew it was super hard to get into the academy. If I went there, everything's paid for. And I still have aspirations to become an astronaut. And they had graduated more astronauts than any other institution. I could play D1 football there. And I could major in aerospace engineering. But when I broke my collarbone, I called them and tell them the situation. And they tell me that I'm not physically a fit to attend that year. The only other place I had to apply for was the Air Force Academy. I got accepted there. But I knew if the Naval Academy wasn't going to take me, that the Air Force Academy wasn't going to take me. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like... An in instant, it felt almost like all my dreams had been taken away. And I, I, I really didn't know what to do. So as I always do, I, I fell to my faith. I prayed about it. My sister, my older sister, she took me, we went to Georgia Tech. I told them my situation. Uh, I think s- semester is supposed to start in a month, a month or two, way after applications are due. And they allowed me to attend that year. I walk on the football team that year. Um, I major in aerospace engineering. Everything is going well. And, my my parents they're asking me are you gonna stay here or, or are you gonna still go to the naval academy and I really I didn't know so I I asked God to give me the signs like I prayed to God was like what what should I do I don't know what I, what I should do so at the next semester it was head coach George Check was Dan Chan Gale. he called me into his office and I have a positive attitude I'm like man I've been doing really well he he's gonna put me on scholarship he must gonna put me on scholarship. Mm So you're not big enough, strong enough, or fast enough to play D1 football. Maybe you should try something else. And it hurt because I've been playing football since third grade. I knew I was better than some of the dudes that were on scholarship. But that was my sign from God that it was time to move on and to to go to the Naval Academy.
1: So let's go through a little bit of this because the Georgia Tech – situation is obviously a setback certainly being hit head-on by a drunk driver is a setback It could have been a lot worse it sounds like than it was even though it still was an injury that you had to overcome where is your faith during this are you unwavered at all or are you allowing yourself to get angry with God to question him to wonder what the heck is going on here where where is all that for you
0: I do think I question why but I I don't think I ever got angry at God um and uh, I feel like the why wasn't wasn't answered. Like a lot of things that happen in my life or happen in your happens in your life, you don't know the why at that time, and and maybe you never know the why. But a lot of times God will will reveal to you the why later on in life, and it's always for His glory, for His good. So that Pastor, one uh, one of my pastors, Pastor Battle, he often say, your min your misery is your ministry, mm-hmm. and Because everything that I had faced in life, it enabled me to help other people who were facing that to make it through and understand that God was still there.
1: I mean, that's so true. I always say that adversity is life's greatest teacher. And uh, you say it, or your pastor says it even more beautifully, misery is your ministry. And it has turned into your ministry, but there was still more misery that you kind of had to go through. Let's get to your father for a second. You mentioned that your dad, you didn't meet him until you were 15 What was that like? And you even brought it up, the the idea of forgiving him and how kind of crazy that is in a lot of ways from a worldly perspective, because nobody would have said to you if you chose not to forgive him that you were in the wrong, at least maybe people who aren't believers. You know, uh, we're taught to forgive every time, uh, but that's got to be a hard thing for you. Tell me about your dad, him coming back into your life, the moments you're seeing him, meeting him again, or meeting him for the first time and where your faith is in, in, in allowing yourself to be able to forgive him.
0: So, yeah, I met him when I was 15. I, I always wanted to meet him, um, and and I, I finally got that chance to meet him. I think it was set up by my uncle. And when I met him, I felt like I had already forgiven him. I had no Miss Ill against him. And so when we met, we, like, really started to grow. We really connected. We had, like, a lot of likes. Like, we both liked cheese. Um, <laughs> we we had big ears. I don't really think I look like any of my parents, but we both we both had big ears. We were givers, and I mean, when we really started to grow. So I met him. I think the first time I met him was in Alaska, and then he moved to California, and I went and visited him in California for the summer. Him and, him and his wife. He came to my high school graduation. Mm. Every, everything is is going well. When I, I meet his mother, which was my grandma, and, and me and her had a, a great relationship until she she passed. And uh, it was funny because she was mad at him because I'm her only grandson, and she she always wanted a grandson, so she was mad that it took so long that we finally got to meet. So I'm I'm at my first year at the Naval Academy, and your first year is pretty difficult. It's your it's your plebe years, kind of like boot camp. You have a, a bad time. And I. Often equated, it's, it's like being in jail except you get to leave from Saturday from twelve to twelve, <laughs> and so it's, it's, it's very difficult. School is is hard, and then on top of that, you're playing football, and so I call him for Christmas and he doesn't answer, which was was pretty weird because he he always calls me back, and I get a call from his wife January third, two thousand five, and she tells me that he's committed suicide, that he's he shot himself in the head, and it, and it hurt really bad because I I just, just started to get to know him and we were we were growing strong and he seemed like he was doing well and everything and then he commit suicide. Mm. And at this time like I didn't it's the hardest time at the academy and I, I can't I can't take a break because I won't make it through the academy. And so again I, I fell back to my faith. I prayed about it and I had to keep going, and eventually, what I understood from the situation, eventually on, I was put in positions where I could recognize people who were thinking about suicide, or I could intervene, and at that time, I didn't, the previous summer when I visited my father, so he he was bipolar, and they believed that the reason that he, they had changed his medicine, and then when he got the... When they changed the medicine back, he realized all the bad things that he had done. And so the last time I met him, he was acting, like, very crazy and, and disjointed, and, and he thought that people were after him. And, like, I, I, didn't, I didn't know anything about disease. I didn't know anything about, really, about suicide. But from that situation, it helped me enable other people to not commit suicide, to recognize suicide in other people, and uh, just bring people to Christ, knowing that, that there's somebody that loves you.
1: Yeah. Well, was that process of grief. Like for you, you're so young at that point, you're still 20 years old or whatever you were, you know, college kid trying to process this. And obviously you, you still had to focus on everything that you were doing with the Navy, but what was that grief process like for you, for someone that you didn't know for a good majority of your life? And then suddenly it's back in your life and now not there anymore.
0: I think for me, I handle grief, uh, in different ways, I had no grief physically. So football was definitely an outlet for me. Growing up playing football, wrestling in high school, I felt like I could beat up people and hit people, and there was no consequence to it. And I feel like that's a lot of ways how I took out my grief is through the, the sports that I played and then just trusting in God.
1: Let me ask you about this. So your dad is – I'm trying to understand – uh moving forward in that process. So I haven't shared this ever, I don't think on the podcast, but my dad tried to end his life as well. Um, And he had a lot of things going on mentally in his life, very unstable. He was unsuccessful in ending his life, thankfully, and he's still alive today. And I'm glad he's alive. But I didn't understand. Uh, There were a lot of questions that I had about trying to figure out, you know, could I have done something different? Was was I, the, was I the cause? Again, it's that grief, right? But there was guilt, I think, a little bit on my end. But it also really opened my eyes to seeing my dad through the lens of Christ and knowing that God loved him just as much as he loved me, whether I was successful in the eyes of the world and he was struggling. What did that do for you in terms of your relationship with God after your dad's passing? And you know, some people, when, when tragedy hits like that, they run far, far, far away from God. And I know you said you didn't do that, but tell me about the relationship with God and how it grew and, and maybe even strengthened in many ways after what happened with your father.
0: I definitely think it grew. I think that – so I, I didn't really tell anybody about that. I probably told my best friend. Like many people at the academy didn't know about it except maybe the superiors because I, I needed to – uh Go go for the funeral, yeah. And when people started to find out, and I could tell them that I'm I'm able to stay strong because I have God in my life. That it that I could walk and show the example that man, you can stay strong. You continue continue to trust in God. Like I, I like the uh, footprints in the sand analogy. Yeah, where if in my life, there was always two sets of footprints. And when there was the hardest times in my life, there was only one set of footprints. Like you had left me God. And he said, no, my son, that's when I was carrying. you." So I think it, it made me stronger that way. It enabled people to see me in, in a, a different light and increased my faith. And I, I think it increased other people's faith as well.
1: What about your mom? And obviously you were 10 and you moved away from her. Um, how was her progression going into these t- these years, and how is she doing now?
0: So my mom, so when she got out of jail, eventually my plan was when she got out of jail, I would move back to Georgia. And so when I told her that I wanted to stay in Georgia because of the opportunities I had and stuff, it, it really hurt me and it hurt her. But when she first got out of jail, it wasn't the best, and eventually she, was, uh, she left Alaska and went to a, a veterans program, a rehab program in California. And like it, because she wasn't around the same people, wasn't around the same environment. She was able to get clean, and she's she's actually been clean for almost nine or ten years now. And then she was living in California, and I got stationed in California, and we were only like an hour and a half away. And so, like you said, everything works out for the greater good. God always had a plan, so it put us together. We're kind of our relationship, and our relationship, our relationship really never suffered. It's always been strong. And I I was always the one that was praying for her. I was always, um, probably her strength because I I, like never gave up on her when as bad as things got. Mm. And right now she, she is doing, she's doing pretty good. She's still drug free. Um, she does battle mental mental illness at times. And so just continuing to, uh, pray for her, praying that everything goes well and, and that, um, uh, she continues to live the life that God has for her.
1: Yeah, it's, it's great that she's sober, and obviously those listening and myself as well will be, continue to pray for your mom. Zerbin Singleton is our guest here on Sports Spectrum. Let's let's talk about football for just a second. You go and you play. It's obviously the spoiler alert in, in the way that you're describing your story is that you end up at the Naval Academy, and you get to play football there, and you're a running back. And so, you know, we're supposed to be humble as, as, as Christians, certainly as humans, we should be humble. But is there a point there when you get to have that opportunity to be running out on the field and carrying the ball for Navy that you're thinking about Chan Gailey's words that you mentioned you know, a few years before that, that you were too small and not able to ever play D1 football, you should try something else? Well, obviously that, that wasn't true because you were able to buck that trend, if you will, and get to the football field and play for Navy.
0: Yes, sir. I, I think about it sometimes. I'm like, man, it's bittersweet. So the first year I got to the academy – had to sit out, but I still was able to practice. Yeah. uh Just because transfer transferred from that, they had that D one to D one rule. And that year, Navy ranked higher than Georgia Tech that year. <laughs> and then my senior year at the academy, two thousand seven, uh, Chan Gailey gets fired, and my head coach at Navy gets hired at Georgia Tech. And so, I mean, every, everything comes around in the end.
1: It really does. But
0: it, it does. It truly does.
1: <laughs> Tell me but about. Go ahead. Go ahead. Continue.
0: Man, Football at the Naval Academy, man, was one of my greatest experiences playing football. We call it the brotherhood because we're we're so close and playing at Georgia Tech for a year and then going to the Naval Academy. You get to see the, like the just the dynamics between being at one D one program versus being at the Naval Academy. And it it is truly different. The brotherhood, how close we are to each other, how the coaches truly care about you is not just a business. Like they they truly care about you, they empower you, and they want to see you do well, whether it's on the football field, or well, or whether it's in life. Because eventually, once we graduate, we're we're on a different playing field. We're we're fighting for our country, and we have to have that tight bond. And man, my my greatest moments playing football was at Navy.
1: Yeah, I mean, you had some pretty good some pretty good success, and you won the Disney Wild World of Sports Spirit Award in 2007 uh the FedEx Orange Bowl Courage Award. Lots of great things took place. Uh and you graduated in 2007, which had to be an amazing feeling for you. But take me through going from Navy. Now, this is just this is a guy who doesn't really have a military mindset or background. I've never been in the military or anything like that. But it doesn't make sense to me just thinking out loud. I introduced you as a Marine Corps major who went to Navy. How does that work? Am, am I wrong on this? That is, shouldn't it shouldn't be one or the other, not both. And you were able to do both. So you go to Navy, you come out of Navy, you graduate, and then somewhere along the lines, the Marines come into play. Take us through that.
0: Yeah. A lot of people ask this question. So the, the Marine Corps doesn't have, have an academy of their own. Right. And a lot of people don't, don't know that the Marine Corps is actually under the department of the Navy.
1: Okay, good.
0: And so, when you graduate from the Naval Academy, you can either go into the Navy or the Marine Corps. And it's it's still a selection process. And being at the at the Naval Academy, there's Marine Corps officers there and just how just how they carry themselves, just the being the best of the best, and just how I always carried my life, being the best of the best. And also I wanted the opportunity to be able to fly and fight on the ground and the Marine Corps encompassed all of that. And so, like, before I got to the Naval Academy, I didn't know anything about the Marine Corps. I didn't know much about the Navy. Um, before, when I was applying for schools, when I first applied for the Air Force Academy, I didn't even na- knew the Navy flew. And so hmm. I, my uncle was in the military, my mom was in the military before I was born, but I, I didn't know much about it. So, learning about the Marine Corps, everything they encompass, their high standards, and it was the only way that I wanted to go. And my birthday is also November tenth, which is the Marine Corps' birthday. So I kind of say it was destiny.
1: <laughs> That's absolutely true. That's funny. November tenth, nineteen eighty four, is when you were born. Tell me what a day is like for you now. What does that mean when you say you're a Marine Corps major? What's and you were a captain for a while, and you sounds like you just got promoted to major. So what does that look like? Is it is that a full time job? Is that your full time job in essence, and what your role is in the Marines?
0: Yes, sir. It is a, a full-time job, probably more than a full-time job. <laughs> uh, so I eventually, uh, I just left the squadron from flying. So I'm a helicopter pilot. I fly H1 Zulus, Kobos, their attack helicopter. I, I call them one of the baddest helicopters known to man. <laughs> and so when I was in the squadron, like your your days very fluid. Sometimes you're flying nights. sometimes you're flying days. Uh, most of your days or at least 10 hours. That's that's probably a good day with more like 12 hours. And I eventually, I've just, and so my old squadron was HMLA 469 Vengeance. And so I just recently joined the 13th Mute. So it's more of a staff position where I'm an air officer. And they just recently got back deployment. I joined them after they got back from deployment, after I returned from deployment in November from Japan in the 31st Mute. And so in the squadron, like you're, um, you're flying, Besides flying, that's not your only job. You have a ground job. My last job was uh, administration officer, so charge of making sure people were getting paid, make sure the travel was good to go uh, making sure all their everything with their family administratively is done well and Now I'm the Air officer of the Thirteenth Mute, which means that I am in the operations department and ensuring that anything that does goes on with air. Uh, Because eventually, we'll um, uh, ACE, which is the Aviation Combat Element, will be attached to us, and ensuring that everything is planned out, whether it's airspace, whether it's ranges. um, Once we get deployed, ensuring that there, if we're going to different countries, that like diplomatic processes are in place, that exercises are um, all coordinated and planned, so everything runs smoothly. So today. I'm actually having went into work because I'm actually flying with my old squadron tonight and I, I fly until 11 PM tonight. And so when you fly, the earliest you can go in is 12 hours prior to your land time. So I actually won't show up to work for another 30 minutes.
1: Hmm. What, tell me some of the places you said you got back from Japan. I think you said last November, give us a, a small snapshot, a glimpse of some of the places that you've been deployed to and have gone to and even flown to.
0: Okay. So both, uh, both of my deployments have been on uh, Mules, or Marine Expeditionary Units, and so basically um, we're a force that's floating, that's floating, and we're a rapid response force. So we have everything that we need to sustain ourselves for at least 30 days, in case, um, like they call us the 911 force, in case something goes on and we either need to go uh, do something to the bad guys, or we need to provide humanitarian support. So on my first deployment. Uh, We went to places like, so we left, we go west, we go to uh, Sri Lanka, uh, Oman. We're doing stuff uh, off the coast of Africa and Djibouti exercises. Hmm. Um, In Kuwait, we're in the Middle East African, Africa region, uh, doing different things off the coast, going into countries, um, doing bilateral supports to working with other militaries to train them and then just, uh, increase our bilateral support with each other.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. Tell me about, uh, faith, I guess, as a Marine and, you know, is there a chapel service? Is there a chaplain on staff? How do you stay sort of grounded in your faith today?
0: So every unit, every unit has a, a chaplain. Um, but just to back up to the, so growing up in my family, everywhere I went, everybody believed in God, right? Not until I got into the military that i I like meet atheists or met people that didn't believe in God, I really had never met an atheist. I didn't think it was that common and so when i when I got to the academy to see like so many people not knowing God or not believing in God or just having different views or different like religions and things like that, it was eye opening to me, and it was I was like man like it was just weird and so being in the military. It's it's still like that. People come from all over the globe. Maybe they never met Christ, maybe they had instances where they just don't know Christ. Maybe they believe in different religions.
1: Yeah.
0: And also because being in the military, you can't like I can't like say hey to one of my Marines, hey, do you believe in God? Uh um because you can't bring that political religious sense. To the military, where it looks like I'm a superior and I'm trying to force my religion on somebody that's uh, one of the subordinates. And so, Marines, so you can't really do that. So, of course, there's chaplains on base, there's chapels on base. They have services just about for every different religion. And man, the chaplains, they they work hard. And a lot of times, they speak to Marines, and they even though they're they're face based that they're providing counseling and things where they can't maybe talk about their faith at all. But anybody can come to, they can invite them to church, they can invite them to the chapel and stuff like that. So for me, I try to live my life in a way that I can show my Marines or other people in the service that, Hey, I'm able to be strong. I'm able to be successful. I'm able to perform because of my faith. And so when they ask me, I can tell them about it, but I can't just come out and say, Hey, um, do you know Jesus?
1: Yeah, no, I get yeah, it. Not- it's living your life. It's as an example. And if if there's discussions and conversations that come from it, then man, you're ready to tell people about the hope that's in you. Zerbin, Zerbin Singleton is our guest here on Sports Spectrum. Last couple of questions, Zerbin. Thanks so much for your time here. What's the greatest lesson you've learned in your life? You've been through a lot of things in your life. Good, bad. And ugly, and God has sustained you through it. But what's the greatest lesson you've learned in your life?
0: I think the greatest lesson I've learned in my life is just back to your your ministry is your misery. And growing up, like, you're taught to be tough. And I really, until I think my senior or junior year at the academy, I never told anybody my story because I didn't want people to feel sorry for me. I didn't want them to say, woe is me. But when I finally told my story and realized that, man, this is all a part of God's plan, the biggest lesson for me is that everything that you're going through is going to make you a stronger person and it should make you stronger in your faith and it should make you stronger in God. And you should tell the world because there's a reason that God placed you in those situations. And that reason is that so that you can help other people who are in those same situations make it out that in those same situations that they can see God through it and that it's going to empower them to be to make it out to be stronger to be more with God and to eventually to share it with the world to help them understand that it doesn't matter what you're facing in life that God is always with you and he's always walking with you and he his plan for you is to prosper you and to make you great and that everything that you go through in life that his purpose is that everybody around you are able to see him through you.
1: Zerbin, that's awesome, man. Thank you so much for being here. Last question for you. Uh, we asked this to all of our guests on the podcast. Uh, I love asking this question because it's a variety of different answers for people um, who've appeared, whether it's athletes or, you know, broadcasters, pastors, whoever. Um, what is God teaching you today? you know, there's a general answer for me to trust in him, but what's he teaching you today? What is, what is the lesson? What is, what is uh, being impressed upon your heart by the Lord in the season of life that he has you in right now?
0: You can never, you can never become complacent with where you are with God. You can always do more, be more and just learn more about Him. So recently in, and uh so I go to the Rock Church yep. here in San Marcos, the bigger one in San Diego.
1: It's Miles McPherson,
0: right? Yes, sir.
1: Yeah, he's been on this podcast. Miles is awesome.
0: Oh uh, yeah, I love love Pastor Miles. Um and so this year we started to do a uh some all about making disciples. And so we're going through the Bible and we have readings each day, and in this journal we write about what we're reading about and then what we've learned. And I've read the Bible a couple of times in the past, uh, every year. And each year I learned more, but like, I really am like seeing so much more in the Bible that I, I just never understood. And, and part of it is, is looking at the Bible and it's a lot of the things that we face in life. We've already experienced, or God has already taught us. And so I'm realizing like, how can I do better by what, god is teaching me now and i'm like man god has already taught me that lesson i've already done that i already overcome that yeah. so just man getting deeper in the word learning more about god about jesus and then being a better disciple and bringing people to god
1: he is urban singleton a marine corps major now the former navy running back uh lots of great things happening and listen first of all thank you for your service to this country we really appreciate that And uh, thanks for being here on the podcast. Thanks for being willing to share your story. Uh, The more people that are willing to share their stories to help others, I think that's a good thing uh, as believers in Christ. So I'm I'm grateful for you, Zerbin. Thanks for joining us here on the podcast. Thank you. And many thanks to Zerbin Singleton from the Marine Corps, the former Navy running back, for joining us here on Sports Spectrum. Please go check out his website, youcangofar.com, youcangofar.com or zsingleton.com, zsingleton.com, and check out his Twitter page at Zerbin S, Z-E-R-B-I-N-S. He's active on there. And man, wasn't that a powerful story? Uh, That's someone who's overcome so much in his life, uh, such a positive perspective, and now doing amazing things for our country, uh, and serving our country, and, and ultimately in serving God. Um, I loved getting to hear Zerbin's story, and I'm grateful to know him and thankful for his service to this country, and what an awesome dude. So many thanks to Zerbin for joining us here on Sports Spectrum. We also want to thank our sponsors, Compassion International. For more information about how you can release a child from poverty and make that difference in a child's life, go to Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum. Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum. Consider sponsoring a child today. Thanks so much for joining us here on Sports Spectrum. We really appreciate you tuning in and listening. If this is the first time you've ever heard a Sports Spectrum podcast, welcome to the show. We're grateful to have you. If you could check out that podcast app that you're on right now and click that subscribe button so you never miss an episode of the Sports Spectrum podcast. We've had 300 plus episodes now and every interview is an amazing story of pointing people back to Christ through the intersection of sports and people like Zerbin Singleton, who are willing to come on this podcast and share their powerful story, is what makes. I mean, it's just what brings me joy to be able to even do this show and interview these people uh, that they want to point people back to Christ in their life. And so hit that subscribe button and never miss an episode of Sports Spectrum's podcast. Also, check out our website, sportspectrum.com. Lots of great content there, articles on the intersection of sports and faith and daily devotionals, as well as an opportunity for you to subscribe to our magazine. The magazine is amazing. It's a really great tool, and it's 18 bucks for an entire year. It's really cheap, $18 for an entire year a magazine on sports and Jesus. The Sports Spectrum Magazine, been around for 30 plus years. It's an opportunity for you to subscribe today. 18 bucks, go to sportspectrum.com and subscribe today. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time with a new episode of Sports Spectrum's podcast. We love you guys. Have a great rest of your day.